Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. And welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Really glad tonight's program. Uh, starting on, I hope will be a very informative note. Uh, I've been in the publishing business for over 50 years, and one of the uh, things people have always asked me is, how do I write a book and how do I get it uh, published? Well, um, just recently, a very interesting uh, email came across my desk, and it said very simply, throw away your business card, write a book. And we have with us tonight the president of that, that company, which is Greenleaf Publishing, Tanya Hall. Uh, and I think you, this hour is going to be very informative. Tanya, welcome to the program. Thank you, Don. It's a pleasure to be joining you, and I'm uh, happy to be a part of the show. Well, Tanya, we always start off by asking our guests a little bit about themselves personally before we get into what I've been looking forward to as a very interesting topic. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, on a personal level, I'm originally from Southern California and uh, grew up out there, went to college out there, was a film major, actually, and worked in television at the beginning of my career, and then went over into the dot-com world like so many of us in the late 90s, before that went kaboom. (laughs) And around that time, um, I was actually pregnant and decided, you know, it's probably a good idea to stay home with my girls while they're young, and did that for a few years, which I was blessed to have the opportunity to do. And when I was ready to go back to work, I was also ready to leave Los Angeles and Lo and behold, there was a company here in Austin, Texas, looking for a distribution manager, and that was Greenleaf Book Group, where I started 10 years ago, actually. On uh, Sunday, it'll be my 10-year anniversary here. So it's interesting because I didn't see the parallels between television and publishing when I first came into the business, but now in hindsight, I, I definitely see where, you know, as in so many media channels, we have an oversupply and an under-demand and a fight for eyeballs, if you will. Well, now, let's talk about um, Greenleaf Publishing. Uh, Tell us about your concept, which I found fascinating. Sure, happy to. And I'm going to make one little clarification just because um, we are Greenleaf Book Group. There's actually another company called Greenleaf Publishing that does educational materials. So just to avoid any confusion on that front, um, we're, we're the other Greenleaf. We're Greenleaf Book Group. And the idea behind the company has always been to provide a model that takes the best from the self-publishing world and the best from the traditional publishing world as far as how those business models work to combine those to give authors both of all of those benefits while eliminating the downfalls of each model. So what that means is on the self-publishing side, you have benefits like creative control, much higher royalties, faster speed to market, um, but, of course, you lack a distribution in most cases because 
uh, self-published authors just have a very difficult time getting into bookstores and airports and so forth. So on the traditional side of things, drawing from that model, our authors all work with a team of experts here, and operationally we function almost identically to a traditional publishing house where we have inside sales reps who call on the airport accounts and Barnes and & Noble and all of those big guys as well as the ebook side of things. And, you know, we have a reputation for quality that allows our authors to get reviewed in Publishers Weekly and, and so forth. So it's really uh, beneficial to the right type of author. I don't believe there's any right or wrong way to publish necessarily, but for the people who are looking for something that has the appeal of creative control and ownership of rights, which of course is increasingly important, but maybe they don't really want to go it alone, the self-publishing route, and they want the help on the sales side, they want the national distribution and to get into all the stores, it's a really good option for those folks. Um, as especially the ones who are working to build a brand around their book and really see the book as a piece that helps to bring extra visibility and credibility to whatever the larger movement is that they're behind. Well, uh, that's what really uh, why I invited you on the program because um, you and I uh, both feel the same way. Uh, you said it beautifully. You throw away your, your business card. But uh, for a small business trying to make headways, particularly if they're a consultant or uh, uh, writing a book, which is a very difficult uh, thing to do, uh, is to me an excellent marketing uh, tool that is very effective. Can you address that? Absolutely, yeah. A book, um, despite all of the bad news you hear about this industry, books are still, I would say, amongst the number number one, two, three, four, and five ways to really kind of cement your status as a thought leader, to really have a way to let people know that you have sort of confirmed as the person who owns your space. This is confirmed to us all the time by people like meeting planners who, frankly, often won't consider a potential speaker unless they have a book because that's really the mark of somebody who has taken the time to invest in the thought leadership in their business or has uh, the credentials and the knowledge that they've accumulated over probably you know, a lifetime of studying whatever it is that their specialty is. And the book stands for that. The book really stands for um, this, this great wealth of knowledge and expertise. It also differentiates um, a thought leader to a great degree. So at least a well-done book will do that. So while there are you know, a million and one books on management and leadership, a well-done book really kind of helps a speaker or a consultant carve out the niche they serve and explain how they're different. So one of the things that we are always chasing for our authors who are speakers and consultants is placement in airports, for instance, and how that helps an author or a small business owner is that obviously somebody buys the book in the airport, they take it on the plane, they read about all the strategic things they should be doing in their business, and they realize, I don't fully understand this or I don't have time to do this, I'm going to hire this consultant to come in and help my company. And chances are that that gig paid for the production of the entire book run. So it's really beneficial as not only a lead generation tool, but also just a way to begin to get the message in front of people so they fully understand your position so you're getting the right types of people coming to your business in the first place. Well, you know, um, there's an old saying, Everybody has at least one book in them. But, right. But uh, one problem uh, always is uh, writing a book is, is difficult. I've written a few in my time, and uh, I've also talked with a lot of authors. And it's not easy writing a book. Um, mm -hmm. How does your company help uh, someone uh, who may have a good idea but uh, uh, doesn't really know how to write a book? Yeah, that's a great question because while we do sometimes have full manuscripts that come in and, and are fairly ready to go, I would say almost more often than that, we have people who do just come to us with an idea, not that that's any small thing, but um, usually the types of authors that we're working with, these they tend to be nonfiction um, thought leaders, they're not writers by their you know their core profession so they don't know how to go about writing a book and that's completely fine and I think in some ways it works in our favor because <laughs> we can actually kind of help come alongside them and and guide the process so that they only have to do it once and they don't end up submitting something that needs to be reworked so 
to that end, um, we actually have a whole project development program where our editors will serve as a coach, if you will, and we'll help them um, get all the way through the process of first outlining the book and then going back and kind of filling out the details and the case studies and so forth that build out the structure of the manuscript. And if that's not appealing to them, we have other authors, um, and it's no secret in this business, a lot of people use ghostwriters. If they just don't have the time or the writing chops, but they want someone to help them with that, then they'll spend some time with the ghostwriter, make sure that they've completely downloaded you know, their idea and their message and their voice to that person, and then the ghostwriter can take it from there. Well, you know, that's a very interesting thing. Uh, how, do you, how do you capture the voice of someone? If, if, uh, I've done a couple of uh, ghost books myself and uh, also failed at a couple of them as well. <laughs> uh, capture the voice. Um, uh, well, uh, how does one go about... Um, well, let's talk about our audience. How do we go? How do they go about um, conveying their voice uh, to the Well, I think a good ghost, and I'll have to caveat this with I'm not a ghostwriter, so I'm not quite sure if they have some secret tools in their belt. But I would think um, if I were in your audience shoes, number one, um, you'll you'll probably be interviewing a number of ghostwriters, and there I've seen this process happen there tends to be a point where you look at the sample chapters that they provide after spending you know, an hour or so. Um, the ghostwriter and the author will spend an hour or so talking to each other and explaining what the project is and maybe sending back and forth whatever existing drafts there are. And um, as these sample chapters come back from the, the candidates for the ghostwriting jobs, there's usually one person who the author looks at that and says, oh, they just get it. They get me. They know my voice. And I think that person is often paying attention to um, sort of the, the tone that the author would take, whether they're formal or informal, um, the, the humor that they would tend to use when speaking to their audience. So they're, they're almost like psychologists in a way, I suppose, and they're very astute observers. Um, but, you know, it usually does take it still takes an investment of the author's time just to make sure that they're, con they're constantly reviewing what the ghostwriter is doing and making sure that it, it is staying consistent with their voice. Well, let's, let's talk about, uh, as you know, there, there are many thousands of books produced each uh, year. How, what, what is the process? I have the book now. Uh, it's a book that really explains uh, what my company does or what I do. Now, but that, that's just the first step. Uh -huh. uh, uh, as you know, uh, every author, even if you go with one of the big publishing houses, uh, every author has to do their own uh, marketing, their own uh, uh, creating the buzz for the book. Well, what should a, uh, someone do to, to create a, uh, to get their book uh, out there and viewed? And how do you help? Sure. Well, I think first they have to have a really good understanding of their goals because, again, a, a national retail product launch, especially when we're talking about print books, is not for everybody. It's not inexpensive and it's not without risk. So it, it, it has to be something that's very much aligned with their, their business goals so that they feel comfortable um, spending the money that it takes to promote and you know get books all over the place and the time commitment that it takes as well. But I would say you know once somebody has an understanding of, um, I kind of break it down into five areas and it, it conveniently spells out the word score. <laughs> so S is speed to market and um, C is creative control, O is ownership of rights, R is resources, meaning how much do you want to invest in it, and E is expertise, so how much do you need to lean on a team of experts to help you get there. Um, the people who kind of orient more towards, I want to do it myself, I want to have all the creative control, I want to um, you know, just maybe sell it online, there are obviously a lot of resources we all know about, like CreateSpace and so forth, where uh, that might be the perfect fit for them. I have uh, a great example that I use sometimes when I teach sessions on this subject, which is a book on how to become a pharma pharmaceutical sales rep. <laughs> and believe it or not, it is a very, very well-selling e-book, um, but has no place in a bookstore. So having that book sold online as an e-book or available to be printed on demand is the perfect option for that book. 
but there are other folks who are more likely the people who are in your listeners' shoes who um, are looking, again, for a way to extend their brand credibility and visibility and want that bookstore placement. And for those folks, usually the process starts with at least completing an outline of their book, um, if not the entire manuscript. And if they know that they want to submit it to a publisher like Greenleaf Book Group or even a traditional house, then um, at that point they should also be thinking about their marketing plan. Because as you mentioned, in any model, the, the author is really pulling the weight on that front. And it's something that I think we just can't stress enough. that <laughs> That is an uphill climb that really takes a lot of work because there's so much competition. So the stronger that marketing plan is, the more marketable the concept is, and the stronger the author's what we call platform is in terms of the number of people we think they can reach who are ready for that message or already within their circle of influence, that's really what's going to move the needle as far as getting a publisher interested. Well, what are the elements of a marketing plan um, that you think are important? Yeah, um, I've seen a lot of them. I would say the elements that I think are important tend to be, uh, for us, demonstration that the author really understands who their audience is and who their competition is. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't spend enough time on. I think um, quite often we get a very sort of glib response of, my audience is everybody, and that is very rarely the case. (laughs) And if that's the answer, we really need to drill down a little bit deeper so we understand how we're going to go about selling this because chances are there are some really good um, primary audiences and secondary audiences and even tertiary audiences where we're going to have very different strategies how we market and sell to them. So um, it's important for people to understand that. And then on the competition front, this can be a little difficult to do on your own because chances are as, as someone who has a lot of expertise in one space, you may be a little close to your ideas. So it's helpful maybe to recruit the help of your friends or your colleagues to have them say who they think your competition is, or even put yourself in your customer's shoes. So if your customer were to just Google um, whatever they would Google to find someone like you, who's coming up? Even if you know that that person is slightly different because of this, that, or the other, you better strongly differentiate yourself so there's absolutely no confusion and no chance that that person can piggyback on your success because that's another um, another challenge in our industry is just really standing above the clutter and making sure that your voice can be heard. Well, you, you, uh, you said, uh, said a lot, but let's go talk about it a little bit more. Uh, one of the things you, your your company does is is probably one of the most difficult things in publishing, getting into the airport uh, bookstores. How do you do that, and, and uh, what types of book really uh, sell in that environment? Sure. Um, yeah, we do a lot of things actually that are really hard. <laughs> I would say the the airports um, were super hard in the beginning, and now they've actually become easier for us as we've built those relationships over time. The the number of business books that we do is obviously very helpful on that front. Business books are, um, are I would say, the probably in the top two genres that they sell in the airport accounts. And it tends to be the very practical, sort of tactical content, to, to rhyme a little bit. Um, for, I'll give you a few examples of books that have done really well in the airports. We have one title that's um, basically presentation skills, and it's not an advanced title at all. It's it's very fundamental. Um, you're going to go do a presentation. Here's how to make it great. It's called The Exceptional Presenter. And that book got its start really in the airport stores. The airports were carrying it before the chains would, and and it was when we pointed to the success in the airports that everybody else followed suit. But you can imagine a business traveler who's about to get on the flight. They know they have to make a presentation at the other end of their trip. They're a little jittery, so they pick up this book. They read it on the plane for that extra boost of confidence, and then it goes great. They tell a friend that book has excellent word of mouth as well. So those types of books do really well. Um, we have a, a book on strategy, that business strategy that that has been in the airport for years now, that does very well. Um, we have a book kind of on the other end, I guess, of of the tactical spectrum. That's actually a little bit more of a um, I hate to say an attitude book, but it is. It's called Positive Intelligence. And um, that book does extremely well in the airports and, again, drives the consulting and speaking business for the author who is behind it. So 
the answer, I guess, as far as what they're looking for is really if we put ourselves in the shoes of um, what is typically a male business traveler is what their demographic is. Uh, what are they looking for? What are their pain points and what are their needs? And those, those change over time, but there are certain mainstays, especially in the, the leadership and management and strategy side that seem to constantly do well. Well, uh, what are the, uh, you said that, yes, that is hard. What are some of the other things an author can do generate sales for his or her book? Well, I think the number one thing is for them to be focused on building the platform. You know, we, we use that term a lot in this industry, and people get a little confused about what we mean, but it's it's really about building an audience and a community. And um, you, you can't really start that and then stop or walk away from it. You have to keep feeding it a little bit to keep those people engaged and to keep them talking about your book. So one of the things that seems to really help our authors sell a lot of books is, is speaking, and a lot of them make quite a bit of money doing that. And they'll basically work um, a book for each audience member into the speaking fee. So they're not at the back of the room necessarily, you know, conducting transactions. It's just all built into the fee. Um, and that that's just a great way for them to, to share the energy behind the book, obviously one-on-one um, with big companies or associations or whatever that may be. So that's very, very good. And then from a strict book marketing perspective, we're seeing, I would say, increased success from people who do very focused online strategies since it's getting easier and easier to really target certain types of readers online, especially if you're giving them some sort of a sneak preview or exclusive content. Or the nice thing about eBooks is we can do like a, a 99 cent promotion for a limited time. So something that makes them think they're getting or feel like they're getting something special and exclusive and um, kind of gets them introduced to the content is often um, very powerful because the the challenge we have is just to get them to read a little bit, and then we can hook them and get them to read more. Well, let's let's talk about the cost, which is always a concern. Um, uh, how, how, do, how does your fee structure work? And, and um, tell us a little bit how it works and what's cost um, for someone who says, Here, here's my book you decide it's worthwhile, but now you have other services, but uh, how, does, how does it work? Sure. So I always joke that it's a little bit like saying, what does it cost to build a house? Because um, that's not me being evasive, but it's so different for every everybody that walks in. We don't do packages or anything like that. So it's really dependent on the state of the manuscript and um, other variables like how much editorial it might need, how aggressive the marketing is going to be, how many books are we printing, because the way the model works um, it's sort of analogous to, on the on the business side of things, venture capital versus bootstrapping, right? So if you're working, if you're doing a traditional publishing deal, you're getting paid in advance, but you're making a very small royalty on the back end because they paid you up front. Whereas in our model, the author is actually paying for the production of the book. So that's the editorial, the design, the printing. And as we talked about, the author, is in, no matter what model you're in, is paying for the marketing. But they're keeping a royalty on the back end that is you know, seven to nine times what they get on the traditional side. Plus, they keep 100% of whatever they sell directly through their speaking engagements, which is why we have so many speakers on our <laughs> published list. So uh, we pay 35% of the cover price for anything that we invoice into the retail bookstores like Barnes & Noble or the airports, whereas in a traditional deal you would get 7 to 9%. But the flip side of that, of course, is that you don't have to invest up front in the traditional deal, but in our deal you are investing up front, so you're effectively bootstrapping um, the production of your book. Um, let's, say, uh, let's say it's a 156-page book. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 is there a minimum run that you require for uh, for someone? Uh, there's no hard and fast minimum, but there's certain numbers that make uh, – there's a minimum, I guess, as far as what makes sense if we're going to try and sell it into retail just because of how the supply chain works. So if it's a business book, let's say, and we're doing a management leadership book and we know we want to try and get it into the brick-and-mortar bookstores, then we usually don't want to start with any fewer than 2,000 copies 
uh, again, just the way the supply chain works and how many places we have to send books out to at both the wholesale and retail level, that would be a, actually a pretty low run for us just to make sure that we have all of the accounts we deal with covered. Um, but we have other books that start with runs that are, you know, up into the 20 and 30,000 unit numbers, just depending on um, what sort of sales history the author already has and what they're doing on the marketing side of things. So printing the books in and of itself, you know, it's not an insignificant expense. It could be for a hardcover anywhere between, you know, two to four dollars a book, just depending on uh, page count and what kind of technology is being used on the cover and things like that. Oh, but uh, if it were, uh, uh, you only do hardcover, but you also do soft. Oh, yeah, we do all types of books. I use hardcover as an example just because most business books are still hardcover. But, um, you know, we also have certain authors who maybe they aren't interested in going after the brick-and-mortar bookstores, and sometimes that's because they have content that's a little bit niche, like the pharmaceutical sales rep book I talked about, or they have something that's timely and they, they can't, they can't wait <laughs> for the timeline um, by which Barnes and Noble buys. Which you know they want to see. Barnes and Noble needs to see stuff five months before it comes out. That's when they're. That's when we're pitching them. So if somebody has a, a book about a current event or um, technology, books usually fall in this area where it changes so fast that they can't print a bunch of books and then have them be outdated three months later, and you know they're worthless. So with those types of books, we can do a print-on-demand model where basically the files live digitally and it's available in all of the online accounts. And then if somebody orders a hard copy through an independent bookstore, that can be taken care of through a special order. But it's not intended necessarily to have books out in, in um, Barnes & Noble and so forth. It's really an online focus. Well, uh, right now uh, they say that Barnes & Noble and uh, Amazon are the two biggest places. Do you help authors get into Amazon as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, and frankly, they don't need us for that, and they know that. So <laughs> that's um, it is an account that we handle. I would say we actually have some um, – there's some benefit to working with us there because we have access to certain marketing programs that people can't get if they work with Amazon directly. But um, And then we've figured out over time different things to do with what we call the metadata behind the book, which is the title and the descriptions and the tags and all of that, that we can get really strategic – looking at how Amazon um, categorizes books to make sure that our authors have the best chance of being seen on Amazon. So that's a little bit of an art and a science in and of itself. But yeah, we definitely, we handle all of the major online accounts. Uh, we're what they call a master distributor. And so that means that we sell into all retail, all online stuff, all wholesale libraries, international markets, digital, and, and everything else. Well, in effect, what you're saying is um, someone can do it one of two ways. They can go, go the more traditional route of trying to, to convince a publishing house to publish the book, which I've done for the last 10 or 15 years and worked with the authors. Or they can say, well, instead of me getting the advance, I will have to put up at least $5,000 to get everything uh, and to work with you, but it, but if I if my book sells, uh, I uh, I will get that money back. Would that be something? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, for the people who listen to your show, I would say it's similar to asking the question of, do you want to work for a corporation, which would be um, traditionally publishing, or do you want to start a small business, which would be doing it on your own, investing in it on your own. And there are advantages and disadvantages either way, but it's still a choice that you have to think through just dependent on your goals. Well, uh, we've been talking about business books, but there are also a lot of people out there that uh, want to do a romance no novel or a historical novel or whatever. Do you also do those types of books? Uh, we do a limited number of those simply because our, the strengths for us as far as our sales channels go tend to be much more in the nonfiction areas like business and health and parenting and self-help, um, even a little bit of spirituality and um, some fitness books. But we have, we have experimented with fiction titles, and we have a couple that have done very well. 
And you know, like any publisher, what we're looking for there is an author who has, and an, um, first of all, amazing writing chops, <laughs> and second of all, is very dedicated to getting out there and promoting it and building a brand around what they're doing. So we have a number of fiction authors who are doing series, which is very attractive to us because it tells us they're in it for the long haul. You know, they know it's they're not going to probably have a runaway hit with just one debut book. They really need to be thinking about how they're going to be building a brand over time. So, um, the same you know the same branding concerns extend over to our our fiction writing friends. But we do a little bit of that just again if we think it's something that we can really get behind and sell. Well, you're certainly offering our audience uh, something that I've been looking for uh, for quite a long time because I think the publishing world is changing. Uh, I, I saw a nice statistic that there are actually more bookstores, uh, independent bookstores today than there were four years ago. A story just came across my desk uh, yesterday on that. But uh, I guess the, the, uh, the real purpose and, where, and the, what you really serve is if you're someone, a small speaker or a small business or even a medium-sized business, where you're, you're looking to really um, uh, showcase what makes you different and why people should buy you, this is a way of doing it. And you, you have all the tools to uh, permit someone to um, get that book in shape and out there. Would that be accurate? That's absolutely correct. And you know, having specialized in that area for so long, one of the things we're really good at is so the the author will have you know certain aspects of their brand or their messaging or even a color palette that's tied to their business that they want to maintain and since they're investing in this process and they own their rights they ultimately have the creative control i mean they defer to us usually because we also have to go out and sell it so it's very much a collaborative effort but we're used to walking this line between developing the book into something that we can go sell in our accounts and so it's doing its job, um, why they, they brought it to us in the first place, to bring them the visibility and the awareness. But it's also staying true to whatever their core message is and what the brand is that they're trying to support. So uh, we, we, don't, we shouldn't have to give up either side. So that's something that's pretty unique about how we work. Uh, I know that that's why you're on this program. Uh, <laughs> I haven't found anybody else that, uh, that does it quite like you, and I wanted my audience to, to know about uh, about it. But let me ask you uh, one more. Have, uh, there are vanity presses out there. Do you reject, do you tell people they don't have a book? Oh, yeah. We take about, I would say it's under 10% right now of what we take that comes through the doors here. Um, and we have to do that to protect our ability to sell into Barnes & Noble and the airport bookstores and so forth because if we start bringing them a bunch of stuff that's no good, then we lose all of our cachet and they say, go away, Greenleaf Book Group, we don't want your bad books. So we're very protective of our list. We only do about 130 books a year, which might sound like a lot, but it's really not by publishing standards. So we try to focus on bringing out the best of the best. It's still a small enough list that we can give a lot of personalized attention and support to each of the authors we bring on. But, um, yeah, there there are certain books that come in that frankly just aren't good, and then there are other books that are good but aren't a match for us as far as where we can sell product and so then we will refer them to someone who we think might be able to help. But sometimes it's just not a match, again, from a, a sales perspective for us. Well, that, that's good to hear because uh, uh, I, I do expert witness work, and I've been involved in a couple of vanity press where they've really taken the, uh, the author for a, a, a lot of money and really not delivered a good product. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm case next week uh, on just that issue. Uh, so uh, that's another reason why uh, the vanity press in this world will, will print anything. Right. Uh, and uh, that's why I asked you the question of do you reject? And you're saying that you only take one out of ten. That's, that's uh, right. Uh, even if the person is prepared to pay. So that's a, mm-hmm. a, that's a pretty good uh, uh, recommendation. 
Let's talk about the uh, uh, what a person should send to you if, if, if they hear about this and they, they want to send. What should they send you to your company? Um, should it be an outline? Should it finish product? Uh, what, what, what do you prefer to get from someone who wants you to publish the book? Sure. So in a perfect world, I'm looking at a, a completed manuscript. That's a perfect world because then there are no surprises <laughs> and I know exactly what is or isn't in the book and we can do a very accurate evaluation as far as the potential fit there. Um, that said, I can actually evaluate something on as little as an outline and a couple of sample chapters that give me a sense of the writing style behind the book. So um, yeah, full manuscript is the ideal but we can work with as little as an outline and a couple of sample chapters. We, like any publisher, we need to see the marketing plan, and you know we, we have questions about goals and um, the author's background and that type of thing. So we have a, a link on our website that people can go to to see what the submission requirements are. And our website is www.greenleafbookgroup.com. So all the information is there. There's a big tab you can click on that says submit your book and kind of walks you through the form and the process. But, um, yeah, usually, you know, we're, we're trained to look for the silver lining in, in anything that comes through the doors here and um, really figure out where there's potential versus looking for problems and reasons to get rid of something. So regardless, we try to provide some valuable feedback to anybody who takes the time to send their manuscript through. Uh, will you repeat the website again for our audience? Sure. The website is And If anyone has trouble figuring out where that submissions tab is or just doesn't want to deal with our website, they're more than welcome to email me. And My email is tanya, T-A-N-Y-A, at greenleafbookgroup.com. Well, uh, before, before I let you go, I'm finding this fascinating. Um, what, would, what would be, um, with your experience, what would be the three things you would uh, uh, ask a person about, um, a person to think about in, in creating a book uh, for you? Mm-hmm. Three things. Okay, well, I think the first thing would be really know your goals and why you're writing the book. Are you writing it because you need to get something off the bucket list? Are you writing it to drive business? Are you writing it as hobby because your friends told you you're a great writer? Because that's going to probably be a, a pretty strong indicator of which way you should go as far as a publishing model, um, which also may impact how you develop your manuscript and your proposal. So first thing is know what your goals are, why you're writing the book in the first place. Um, sort of tangential to that, but the second thing is know your audience. And this is one where I think people really struggle. Um, back when I worked in the dot-com world, we would actually come up with, um, I think the word for it is physiographics, but you, you come up with a, a uh, made-up person, a man or a woman who represents your reader, and you actually go through the process of they drive this car, they eat this food, they do yoga, they've got three kids, they live in the suburbs. So you have a really clear picture of who you're writing for because that's just going to help you ultimately figure out the appropriate tone and how to differentiate yourself and really best serve whoever that potential audience uh, may be. And then the third thing I would tell somebody is don't get real hung up on perfecting your content right out of the gate. That's what editors are for. <laughs> I see a lot of people pick up the pencil and, and they have a great idea and they start and then they get really discouraged because it doesn't feel perfect to them or it, they, they worry about the quality of their writing. And it's not the writing you should worry about. It's your idea. It's your concept. There are plenty of people who can help you flesh that out or develop it into a, you know, a proper book with, with all the fancy language it needs. You just really work on the idea and making sure that that is strong and all the rest can come into place with, with the team of experts. I couldn't agree with you more. An editor, uh, a good editor, uh, uh, an editor makes a good reporter great. That's what I learned a long time ago. And, <laughs> That's well said. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, Tanya, thank you so much for being with us tonight and taking all this time. I hope our audience learned as much as I did. 
Oh, thank you. It was a pleasure to join you, and I, I hope to hear from some of your audience members soon. If I can help them, I'm more than happy to do so. Thank you. Okay. Our next guest is Tim Rode, who literally took crushed and chopped candy and turned it into a million-dollar business. Tim, are you on the line? I am. Welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, thank you. Well, you know, again, uh, the nice thing about my uh, being a, an editor like mine is that uh, uh, I, I get some interesting people uh, crossing my desk, and you, you certainly are one of them. Um, <coughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, how you did it, et cetera, but we always ask our guests to give us a little bit of, of their personal background and how they got to where they are. So, yeah. how's yours? Okay, well, I grew up in Baker, Oregon. I went to Oregon State for a couple of years, uh, and then transferred to Arizona State, graduated from Arizona State. Uh, when I, got, I graduated in engineering, and as you'll read in the book, I was never meant to be an engineer. <laughs> but uh, I did work for McDonnell Douglas uh, after school uh, for about six months. Absolutely hated it. Uh, and luckily, they laid off like 2,500 engineers. This was like in 1982. Uh, unfortunately, I was one of them. Uh, so then I went into a business venture with my brothers, which you can read about in the book. Uh, we started ice cream trucks. Uh, and we had 50 ice cream trucks in Boise. Uh, I've been in Salt Lake City, Utah. And so we ran those for about three or four years. Uh, did, did okay. Uh, sold the business. Uh, for a decent amount of money. I mean, we weren't rich uh, by any means. Uh, and then did some very odd jobs uh, for about a year, and then we got into frozen yogurt. Uh, if you're familiar with the frozen yogurt shops you see on the streets now, that's exactly what we had in uh, the mid-80s mid to uh, early 90, 1990. Uh, we had a franchise called J. Higby's Yogurt Tree Shops, and we had four of those stores one in Ogden, uh, and three in Colorado. And that's how I basically ended up in Colorado. Uh, but we ran those for about five years, and towards the last, last couple of years, I mean, they were going downhill because there was a yogurt store on every corner, very much like today. Uh, so as they were going downhill, I thought we needed to get into something else, and uh, one of the best-selling toppings we had were the uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And, but you couldn't, you couldn't buy them chopped up. The only way you could get them would be to go to the like Costco, Sam's Club, uh, buy them, unwrap them, chop them, and they just flew out the door. I mean, it's, it was by far our number one selling topping. And uh, so I just I thought if somebody would chop them, put them in a 10-pound box, and sell them, there'd be a huge market for it. And so I started selling to a company called Southwest Traders in Southern California, uh, who's the largest distributor of uh, ice cream toppings, ice cream and yogurt toppings. And after the first two weeks, the buyer called me and said that I had the hottest thing going. And this was in 1991, and I was chopping by hand. I had another person that was helping me, and uh, we were doing like 100 10-pound cases a day. And uh, I did that for two years, and then the business just you know, grew into where it is today. And that's how I got into tier toppers and kind of uh, a, sh a quick version of my, my history. Well, it, my sounds story. Like, it sounds as if ice cream is an important part of it. But um, uh, but uh, what is your business? I, all I did is introduce uh, you to the audience say it's crushed candy. But, but tell us exactly what your business is now because that's why you're that's, on the program. Right, right. Tier Toppers is uh, located in uh, Pueblo, Colorado. Centrally located because we ship uh, all over the country. Uh, we process candy toppings for Dairy Queen nationwide for their blizzard program. If you've ever had a blizzard, uh, we do the Chop Reese's, Snickers, Butterfinger, Heath, all the name brand candies. Uh, we do it for McDonald's for their McFlurry, uh, Sonic for their Blast program. Uh, we sell the Dryers, Baskin Robbins. Uh, we sell so you to probably. So you chop up candy. 
I couldn't hear you. So you chop up candies. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the, the crux of our business. Uh, but we also do a lot of cross-docking of candy, like cookie dough, brownies. Uh, we sell about 300 toppings uh, now. But but still, the, the core of our business is chopping candy. Well, but no, the, the idea is, uh, if, if, uh, to clarify for the audience and why you're here, is you, you took a simple uh, idea and made it into a very big business. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's what I stress in the book that, uh, you know, we were, I was, and I talk about hitting rock bottom, you know, and uh, the beauty of rock bottom, actually, because uh, the yogurt shops are going downhill. I was paying our, you know, we were paying ourselves $1,000 a month, and this is like, this is in 1990, and $1,000 a month is not a lot of money. Uh, and I heard, reason I, one of the main reasons I got into this business, I heard about, when the yogurt shops were doing bad, and I was, you know, we were, didn't know really what to do. Uh, I heard about a good friend of mine in high school that had a multi-million dollar business, uh, had a vacation home, had a beautiful dream house, and uh, you know, here I am making a thousand dollars a month, and yogurt shops are going downhill. I told myself the day that I heard that he was he was doing that, I told myself that I'm going to come up with some kind of business idea, no matter what, and I'll work 24 hours a day if I have to. Uh, and then I was out running on. In Mount at, in Ogden, Utah, on the Mount Ogden Trail, and all of a sudden the idea popped into my head, and uh, I thought it was the greatest idea that <laughs> I'd ever, you know, since sliced bread, basically. So, but yeah, I started with nothing—a knife, a cutting board, a, you know, one other employee, and we just started chopping. Well, so and you've written a book about this. Our previous guest was talking about writing books, so you've written a book about it. I did. Uh, it's you know it's not entirely about this. It, it has business business section. It has my story, my drifting. It also has you know several other things that I hopefully will be inspirational to the reader. Not just not just about business. Well, what 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 would how do you want to inspire the readers? In what ways? The floor is yours. Uh, to talk to your audience. Yeah. Yeah, you know, probably my whole life has been kind of designed around a personal freedom. Just I've always wanted to be free, and whether that's being an entrepreneur for me, it was being an entrepreneur. I grew up basically just, you know, I caddied in college. So I was always basically an entrepreneur, and that that was my freedom. I've always pursued freedom, uh, and I would encourage the audience. Whether you're working for somebody, you know, you might have the the greatest job, and you know that's and you love your job, that, that as well as is personal freedom. But, you know, you may also be in a job that uh, you, you're just doing it because you're, you want to pay the bills, but you have, you know, uh, higher dreams, higher goals. And, you know, I, I would certainly hope this book might inspire you to pursue those. What's the name of the book? It's called uh, Are You Drifting? Okay. And... Yeah. Honestly, from, from your background, you haven't drifted. You've worked very hard all, all your life. Uh, I think you'll find, I, was, I mentioned in the book that I've actually drifted a lot more than, uh, you know, taking action. Uh, you know, I used to have a lot of ideas, but I would never take action. Uh, but I also stress the importance, there's importance in drifting also. I think we get caught up in just, you know, constantly being on the go, uh, constantly doing things, life is just one big to-do list, and you never give yourself any time to actually sit and contemplate and give your chance to, yourself a chance to access, you know, your dreams and goals and, you know, letting ideas come to you. And that's usually when they come to you when you're drifting. So I think it's a very important, important time. Well, I'm also to... taking action. You can't just drift, and uh, at some point you do have to take action. That's true, but uh, many of us don't. I have to tell you, I read your book, and I found it um, uh, uh, very thought-provoking because I, I've been—I'm uh, an A-type, so it's very difficult for me to just drift. But I read your yeah. book. Well, um, but I read your book on my vacation uh, last Great. week, and uh, I, I sat there on the beach 
and the, the first time I went on vacation and stopped thinking about work. So I have to <laughs> yeah, tell you, it, yeah, but it's it's taken me a long time to reach that point. And as I was reading your book, I was saying to my wife that uh, I wish I'd read it about 25 years ago. I'd probably be healthier. But <laughs> yeah. But let me let me turn this around for a moment. Um, most small business owners are 24/7. In fact, um, uh, the interesting phenomenon is that m um, many small business people who want to retire, their children don't want to get into the business because it's so, so all-consuming. How do you address that issue? Uh, you know, when I first started the business. Um yeah, I was I was working uh, 12 hour days. Uh, like I said, uh, at one point I worked uh, three weeks straight, you know, 12 hour days. But to me, uh, it never seemed like work. For the first five to ten years, you know, I, I put in a ton of time, but uh, not once did I really ever consider it being work. You know, I, I I couldn't wait to get back to you know to what I what I do. Every every single I get home at like uh, eight or nine o'clock at night, and I just couldn't wait to get back there the next day. And I think if you find what you really are passionate about, and I, I'm not passionate about chopping Reese's peanut butter cups, but I'm passionate about being in business for myself and uh, uh, creating new things and making things happen. And so, I, yeah, I mean, you, you'll spend a lot of time, but now you know I probably work uh, three to four hours a day. Uh, I go in at about ten or eleven and leave about 2.30. You can check emails from anywhere. Uh, you know, but I still get a lot done in those two to three hours, and I have a ton of time I, to take off. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's a lot of personal freedom that even if you're still working a lot of hours, I, you know, I, never, I would never consider it work myself. Well, you don't do a line of work or anything else but work. They call it something else. I, I couldn't hear what you said. If work, uh, now I forgot it. If work were anything else but work, they call it something else. But what you're saying is, if you enjoy your work, uh, then that's enough. But you have to. If I, yeah, it is. I mean, a lot of kids don't want to go into their father's business because you know they didn't start it, and uh, you know they may not have an interest in it at all. But or their mother's business, whoever. Uh, well, but. What, what are the main, what, tell our audience, uh, how does one learn to drift? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you just have to take, you know, if, you, if you're the type of person, like you said, a type A personality, you, you, know, you have to almost force yourself to take time off and, uh, you know, whether it's, in the morning, spending uh, 10, 10 to 20 minutes, just if you, if you have time, to uh, just sit and either meditate or, you know, read something inspiring or just uh, go for a walk. Uh, just things that you normally wouldn't do. Take a vacation. I mean, I, I use Eckhart Tolle, uh, who wrote The Power of Now, uh, as, a, as an example. I mean, he's, he was had a very successful life in academia, uh, was making a lot of money, and he wasn't happy at, with his life, and he just sat on a park bench for two years. And I, you know, a lot of your the listeners may know that story, but, uh, you know, and he came up with, you know, just a very simple concept, uh, now, you know, now is all we have, the power of now, and he wrote the power of now, and, you know, it's a bestseller, and he's gone on to write, you know, other bestsellers. But, well, you know, I, for him, it took two years drifting. So, you know, some people it takes a lifetime. Some people, you know, may take less. Well, I tell you, uh, it's very interesting that you say that because uh, what I've turned to is writing fiction after all these years of being a reporter. And uh, I, I enjoy the writing fiction more than anything else I've done in a long time. So, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to adopt. Uh, uh, in fact, I've given your book to someone else. It's a, another A type, um, uh, and I, I'm, I myself am trying to learn to kind of step back and not do as much as I, I was. Um, and yeah. Go ahead. 
No, I think that's when, yeah, I mean, I think we all need it, and that's when the creative genius will come to you. It's it's not going to it's not going to come to you when you're like I say in the book in in a boardroom you know trying to think of something with other people it's going to come to you when you're out walking in nature when you're sitting in nature when you're driving when you're sitting on the beach like you said but that's when your great ideas will come to you but it's not going to they're not going to come to you when you're you're just constantly doing all day long well that, that's that's for sure uh, some of my most creative ideas come when I'm in the bathtub but that's for yeah. me. <laughs> It's surprising how many people in the shower or the bathtub, uh, you know, that's when their greatest ideas come to them. Well, uh, but, again, the name of your book and how people can it, find it. The name, is, the name of the book is Are You Drifting? Uh, you can purchase it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, you buy it, write reviews if you like it. You know, I'd appreciate that. Send, you can send me an email at timroad at trtoppers.com. Let me know how you like it. Say, say that slower. Tim Road. It's uh, Tim Road, R O D E, at trtoppers. That's how it's spelled T R T O P P E R S dot com. Oh, okay. And if they want to talk to you more directly, um, can they call you? Sure, they can call me. Uh, my cell phone number is uh, 719-250-3723. And then okay. you can also ch check out our website if you want to learn a little bit about our company, and I'm not just making all this stuff up. <laughs> it's uh, trtoppers.com. Okay. Uh, uh, one final thought. What, what would you tell our audience? Uh, 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 what would be the two things you tell our audience um, tonight from your experience? I would tell them to pursue their personal freedom, whatever that is. I mean, a lot of there's a million books on happiness, but if you if if you're free, you're going to be happy, and happiness doesn't last. And the other thing would be to be constantly growing. In whatever endeavor, if you're not growing, then you're you're going backwards, and that's when we all get older. <laughs> so, continue the growth. Well, you know, there's an old Greek, uh, a famous Greek uh, uh, leader said, "The secret of, um, of uh, the secret of uh, happiness is freedom." And, the, uh, and I think you've uh, kind of put put a real uh, exclamation point on that. Oh, I, I hope so. I hope everybody enjoys the book. Well, um, uh, you're, the, you're the first one we've had in a long time that's talked about uh, not doing, but actually uh, drifting a little bit. And I thank you for coming on the program tonight. Uh, well, I certainly uh, thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And thanks for reading my book. Well, uh, no, thank you. I learned a lot from it. I hope I, hope I continue to... to I, I, I hope I can learn to drift. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty easy for me, so, but... <laughs> What's easy for you is pretty difficult for me, but I'm going to try. Yeah, well, yeah, well thanks a lot, and uh, tell everybody to buy my book. Well, you just did. Okay. <laughs> I've never been on a radio show, so this is this is unique, but... All right. Well, thank you for coming, and we'll have you back on. If I, okay, if I, great. I appreciate it. Undrift, I'm going to call you. Okay. Sounds <laughs> good. Have a good day. You too. Thank thanks. you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net.
We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.